The following BLTV program is brought to you by O'Flaherty Law. Please enjoy. Welcome everybody back to the On Purpose Growth Podcast. I'm excited because today I've got uh, Dawn Holly Johnson on with me. She's the six billion with a B woman, uh, and she's the the CEO of uh, 3D Value Group. And today, what we're going to be talking about is um, how do you design an organization to be wildly successful? That's a question that many entrepreneurs, many CEOs. Uh, want to be able to answer for themselves. So I'm excited to have this conversation with Dawn. And, and she's a, uh, an aspiring or about to be published author, not aspiring. You're about to be published. We're going to talk about the book. So, so Dawn, uh, thanks for uh, coming on and, and sharing the time here. And why don't you um, give a little bit of a, a background about you and your company, and then we'll dive into designing organizations. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. So Five years ago, I found myself in a quandary. Uh, At that point, I had brought in over $6 billion worth of value creation into organizations. And I continued to be met with uh, massive resistance, typically from leadership, typically the people, uh, individual contributors that were affected by the positive changes that I brought were overjoyed. Uh, but often leaders uh, left more billions on the table, uh, choosing not to improve the health of their organization or the people in it. Hmm. And uh, I couldn't understand that. Now, I know I've got training and experience that most people don't have. And, and you know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, uh, when presented with a viable plan and the numbers to prove (laughs) what can be possible, uh, it continued to shock me. And um, so I I, I went into an inquiry about this and began to ask myself several questions to try to understand what it was that was missing that would make a difference. Um, And I came to realize several things. that we have never actually designed organizations to be successful. What we've allowed organizations to do is we form an organization, which by you know, Webster dictionary definition, an organization is a group of people that come together to deliver on a purpose, hmm. okay? So when I talk about an organization, I talk about businesses, governments, healthcare systems, educational systems, any organization, Girl Scouts, <laughs> I mean, any organization, okay? So uh, inside of that, if everyone's there to deliver on a purpose, what we begin to do from the start is let the organization grow organically based on needs of the organization. Mm. And it begins to grow. Now, if you've ever seen the difference between a tree growing in the wild and a tree that was masterfully pruned Mm. from the very beginning shaped to actually be as successful of a tree as it can be right Right. there's a huge difference so we allow our organizations to just grow organically this is natural human nature Mm -hmm. it's what we do we just we feel oh we have a need over here we're going to fill it we have a need over here we're going to fill it we have a need over here we're going to fill it So right away, 
what's happening is, is the organizi- organization is losing sight of its purpose. Hmm. Instead, what's happening is, is we're bringing on more and more people or resources to manage growth and we're losing track of the fact that we came together to deliver on a purpose. So what happens is how organized and organizations end up being designed mm-hmm. is typically with groups of people in certain functional expertise. For instance, once the marketing becomes too much for one person, they're going to hire someone else with a marketing background. And then they're going to hire someone else for marketing background, and they're going to continue to collude together in their own world. Hmm. So another natural human tendency is, is we believe expertise in a particular area automatically includes that people will design the business well and have it function well, which is a false assumption. Okay, so we begin to create these groups of what I call functional experts. Now, you might be the best marketer, the best finance guy or gal on the planet, and you will not design the best organizational structure and or processes without assistance from experts that do that. Mm. You just won't, but it's assumed that because I'm an expert in finance, I'm going to have the best finance processes as an example. But I've gone into several financial organizations and dramatically improved everything they were doing. Hmm. So they, you know, as an example, a financial expert is, is an expert at accounting or an expert at financial reporting or an expert at mm-hmm. forecasting and data analysis or an expert at, that doesn't mean they've laid out the best financial processes for the whole organization. Hmm. You cannot, they are not, (laughs) if one happens does not mean the other happens. Yeah. And we have this assumption. So we allow these organizations to grow and they become very dysfunctional, very unorganized. And they lose sight of why, why they're on purpose in the first place. So back to the me in this quandary, wondering why all the resistance, why all the resistance? Well, number one, is I would come into an organization and I've been in every single industry, every size organization from startups to the Fortune 100s, see the same common problems everywhere I go. Doesn't matter. Industry, everybody thinks their industry is unique. You really have a lot of the same common problems as other industries do. But why the resistance? Well, the assumption is that if I'm an expert in this business, let's say I've been working in this business 20 years, who are you to come in and in three months, identify a quarter of a, or a quarter of a billion in waste mm-hmm. or 40 million in waste. Like, who are you? Because I'm the expert. So you, it's an automatic, you must be wrong. Yeah. But not a lot of people on this planet are trained to actually design organizations and design the processes that actually make an organization function. So these natural, they're flawed. But they're natural assumptions we all make that, oh, they're an expert, therefore they'll be good at all of it, is what creates the dysfunction in organizations. And they cannot possibly come close to reaching their maximum potential. So is, it, is there that friction or resistance 
there because everybody's thinking about themselves in a silo or these experts are thinking about themselves in a silo? Well, this is another issue is that each of those silos, we'll call them uh, groups of functional experts yeah. and organizations, typically all get handed by the CEO some goals and objectives. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately in the CEO's mind and the CFO's mind, they're trying to drive equity. Ah, okay. That, that Again, we've lost focusing on the purpose of the organization and we're focusing on the balance sheet, we're focusing on equity. And then we're gonna drive goals and objectives in order to improve that equity. And that is what's happening in all traditional organizations in the world. And even though they think they're moving towards their purpose, they're not. No, they're driving a budget sheet mentality, what I call a budget sheet mentality. Ooh. Which is to focus on manipulating the balance sheet to look good. Hmm. Which is not necessarily creating a viable organization. So uh, it it sounds like, and and I agree with you that uh, on the all organizations are are very similar. As much as they think they're unique, they're actually similar. Very similar. So what were the what were the general patterns like? What were where if there's a CEO listening to this or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. entrepreneur and they're thinking, okay, I'm managing by these silos and these goals and objectives. How do I start thinking about it differently? Like, I know we're not going to solve their problems all in this podcast, but right. can they start? Where are they going to look? Well, the first thing is to get back on purpose. Hmm. So why was the organization formed in the first place? As an example, I have worked in several different realms of healthcare. Okay is very rare that I find the patient or the doctor trying to serve the patient being priority, for instance, in health insurance. Mm -hmm. It's about cutting the budget down. Mm -hmm. The priority is not on making it easier for the doctor to do business with the insurance company and to actually, in a timely way, take care of the patient. Hmm. They are not set up for that. Now, there's several operational excellence groups that exist in these organizations, but they aren't given the power to actually do the right thing. Were they just another one of these expert silos that uh, nobody appreciates the outside or anybody outside? Well, I will say healthcare is the toughest culture I've ever been in. Oh, And it is due to a much stronger hierarchical force than is typical in most organizations, which human beings naturally always form in hierarchies. Somebody's better, knows more than someone else, makes more than someone else, is born into a class better than someone else. I mean, (laughs) it's all over the planet. Yeah. You know, this color skin is better than that color skin. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's prevalent everywhere. It's sad, but that it's prevalent it's reality it's reality and and so we have to be willing to actually take a look at that and when I was in my inquiry around all of this I started to realize there's all these natural human traits that have us where we are but it's not going to take us into the future successfully Mm. organizations are not set up to be future focused adaptable scalable productive happy collaborative I mean they're just not all those things that you described, 
happy, collaborative, scalable, sound like a bunch of things that are really needed for a, a business to, to grow. Yes. And, and you're basically uh, have found that organizations are designed to do the opposite. Yes. They're, they're designed to be very ineffective. And so we have to intentionally design them to be effective. Now I'm an engineer by degree and mm-hmm. I'm a natural designer. I see big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would be no good sitting in a corner like a mushroom designing, <laughs> you know, parts all day, right? Yeah, that would have yeah, 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 yeah. never, some people, I mean, my ex-husband was one of the best aerospace mechanics I ever met. And he mm. built the same, almost the same stuff every day, but it, he was just amazing. And he loved it, mm-hmm. but it was not for me. So yeah, I yeah. look at the whole forest and not, I'm not examining trees. I'm looking at the whole forest going, how can I make this healthy? How can I make this better for everyone? How can I make, help make this execute on its purpose? And, uh, you know, we're, we're simply not designed to do that. So my book mm-hmm. is based on three basic premises. Number one, focus on your purpose. Get off the focus of the balance sheet. You know what? If you're delivering value to the world, you'll make money. Yeah. So stop forcing it and go back to actually creating an organization that's focused on delivering value. Number two, now the structure of the organization is not set up to deliver value. It's set up to manage people and functions and Mm. control them. That's how it's set up. It's got nothing to do with delivering any value. So it creates a lot of disconnects. A lot of miscommunications, a lot of rework, a lot drives a lot of costs um, and stifles a lot of revenue. So out of that $6 billion of value creation, I mean, I was originally trained to reduce operational costs. That's what I was trained to do. Okay. Okay. Out of that $6 billion, over $5 billion of it, I have generated brand new revenue by simply being able to either be competitive, more competitive in the marketplace and or winning back customers that had given up on that company. Wow. Major accounts that had, were just thrown in the towel, we're done with you. And I listened to what they needed, got multiple things solved right away. But that's using everything I've learned over the last 25 years to do, right? Well, back then it was... I don't know, been doing it 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here, let's just clean all this up. And so for four years, they had had customer issues, 300 of them just standing on lists. And within three months, I had solved half of them. What? Because, it, you know, it was easy. But you've got to actually want to serve the customer. Yeah, so was the, the focus of the energy to fix the problem focused like internally instead of externally? Part of it's this, is the huge majority of people on the planet are not trained in what I do and several others do, uh, which is process engineering. Okay. So it's back to the expertise thing. It is assumed that if I'm an expert in my area, I'm gonna create great processes. Mm. But you're not an expert in designing processes the way they really need to be. Now, everybody thinks, oh, process is easy. You just create a bunch of steps and that's it. No, there's a whole, 
methodology, a way to measure them. You want your processes to be healthy because people come and go. Technology comes and go. Process is the only thing that delivers value. It is the primary conduit to delivering value. Now, it needs to be enabled by people and technology. Right. But for instance, my grandmother passed down a recipe to me. She is not alive today. I can still cook her stew. Just like she did. She passed the process to me. She did not pass her expertise to me. It's not about me. It's the recipe that delivers. I just follow it. So how does somebody start separating expertise and process? Uh, you focus on value, and then you've got to structure the organization to actually line up to deliver it. Forget about your functional silos. Worry about your value delivery process. End to end. So you're talking about blowing up your traditional. Blowing it out of the water. Really? Yeah. But you know what? I can tell you this. In the Fortune 100, they reorganize probably. These are these are what? 300,000 plus employee yeah. organizations. They reorganize three to four times a year. Yeah. You know how much that costs? And all it does is segregate and chop up the process more and more and more. At this point, when I talk to people in those, they're just lost. They're on their third manager that year. They don't know. They used to know to call Jane to get this handled. Now they don't know who to call because the processes aren't defined well and, and people are supposed to function. I'm talking about reorganizing one time. So there's you'll never have to do it again. So there is a a logical structure yes. that companies can organize into that they were redesigned to it once and 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 they will be fine, right? That's not the magic pill, but that's the magic structure. Correct. And it's timeless. Really? Yes, you know, digital transformation, right? That's been yeah. underway now for a while. And it's uh, going to be a complete disaster because no one's looking at process. So you can go automate poorly designed processes and now you're really stuck with them. And the, and the system, the, the I was gonna say the system, but the problem gets worse or persists, if you will. Correct. So the, the first work to do is to actually define all your value processes. So we've got to stop, for instance, manipulating the balance sheet, budget cuts to make the numbers that month, because what you're doing is you're cutting value and waste. Mm. You just don't know how much of which. You have no idea on a spread. I have seen things cut that looked really good at the CFO level. Oh, yeah, we'll get rid of this whole group or we'll get rid of... Uh, in one company I was in, it was an engineering company, telecommunications. They got rid of all the color printers. And somebody at corporate was celebrating like, oh, look at the millions we saved here. Well, color is critical in these prints for people to do their job, but nobody checked on who actually had to use the color printers or what the job entailed or what the process entailed and so it completely crippled the engineering group. So this is what the budget cutting mentality does. Instead, what you wanna do is have viable processes that are delivering value and you're measuring them. You can even measure them real time. And 
financials are latent, yeah. latent, latent information that really doesn't tell you whether your company's performing well or not. All it's saying is this is what it's worth. It doesn't say where you're doing well, where you're not doing well. It might tell you who's over budget and who's under budget. What's that got to do with delivering value? Absolutely nothing. So instead, you focus on actually delivering the value and measuring that. And you do that and you will be wildly successful and your whole culture will shift. So what, what, what things trick a CEO to thinking that he's doing the right thing? Or she, or well, it's just it's what everybody's taught. I mean, I don't care if the CEO went to Harvard University or University of Hard Knocks. It's just prevalent in society. This is how you create a company. This is how you manage a company. This is how you operate a company. You know, <clears throat> my number one focus is shareholder equity. If mm-hmm. it's a for-profit mm-hmm. business, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what's taught. It's what's learned, and it's the norm doesn't make it right what i say is different doesn't have to mean difficult so what i'm proposing is actually not difficult it's a much simpler way to manage and operate an organization it's just people aren't trained to understand this and those of us that have been trying to communicate it for for it's some of these concepts that i propose have been around 80 years they're timeless really really but they still aren't mainstream why because of all those traditional paradigms that I've talked to you about, where expertise trumps process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an example. I mean, it just, and then we let everything organically grow instead of really thinking about designing, staying on purpose from the very beginning. And so what happens a lot when an organization's formed is, well, we're going to deliver this product or service. You're still not on purpose. What, the, what is the purpose of the product and service? What's the value it creates for others in the world? That's what people buy. They don't buy products and services just to buy them. Exactly. There's some kind of value, right? There's people that love buying Teslas because there's value to them, right. right? Other people could care less about spending that kind of money on a car. Because, you know, it's like what's valuable to the consumer. So everybody's had health insurance mm-hmm. in their lifetime. So what's valuable to you about having health insurance? Oh. The assumption is I can go to the doctor and get taken care of in a timely manner and get, get the right care at the right time. That's right. Does that it? is not the focus of health insurance companies. Exactly. It's just not. Okay. And, and they can claim that that is their focus, but it's not. It is about cutting their costs. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen processes that took eight months to a year that should have been days. What? Days? Oh, yeah. Now, my father died mm-hmm. from medical error. Really? I didn't see the doctor i didn't see the doctor because the doctor had learned his lesson that it was a step in the process he skipped he was never going to do that again there was no sense suing him i went after the system that's why i went into healthcare. is i was going to help design processes that actually worked for patients and the people working the processes 
I mean, nurses are maltreated. It's, it's a tough, you know, it's a tough, <laughs> I'm not saying people aren't well-meaning. Please don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think what you're saying is it's not is, people's intentions. It's just not set up for, for everyone to win. It's just yeah, not. Yeah, they're not people. I guess what I hear you saying is, and for all the listeners, is there's everybody wants to do well. There's a lot of people that are set up to fail or not be able to work at right. their best because the system they're part of yes. allow them to do that. But then you start to swim in that water. And the longer you're with any organization, you fail to see opportunities because you're swimming in that water. Well, it's probably the whole, well, we've always done it this way kind of narrative. Exactly, which is another natural human tendency is we get complacent. We like what, even if it doesn't serve us, we'd rather stick with something we know than head to something we don't know. And all I have to say is, is that, our future is quite simple to transform and you have to be willing to throw out the status quo and just do it. Mm. It's easy. It's not difficult. The, the amount of complexity and difficulty you're dealing with today, not doing it far surpasses the ability to design an organization to be very, very streamlined. Yeah. You just have to commit to the transformation of doing it the way that you're, that you're talking yes. in the direction that you're talking about, because it's, I think you said it, but it sounds like the, um, when you design an organization to be wildly successful, you actually simplify it. If if I'm hearing you. Yes, you do. And you might have to repurpose people, but I can guarantee you in every organization I've been in, there are people that naturally see the world. Like I do, they're there and you repurpose them to help redesign that organization because they'll Hmm. be far, you know, better about, 10 to 15% of the population sees the world in systems and processes. The rest, okay. of the, the rest of the population does not, which is why we let everything organically grow. Processes isn't considered to be important by most mm-hmm. people. It's, it's assumed it just, it'll happen. And what you're saying is get experts and process oriented people and, and have them yes. work in some fashion to create the, a system that works for the purpose of the business, not to serve the experts. Well, yes, I've, I've engineered a model for organizations to become high-performing. We engineer anything we want to be high-performing. Mm-hmm. We don't want bridges to fail. We don't, and so people automatically think about like metal structures and all of that. But you can engineer businesses, you can engineer educational systems. And trust me, I mean, I have visions of what's possible in government, what's possible. And it all needs engineered because engineers design things not to fail at the minimum cost, at the maximum efficiency. That's what they do. Mm. And then there's a group of us that are engineers that are also trained on process design. And then I've gone even beyond that. I've I've read so much. I've been in so many organizations and and just have a natural proclivity to look at the whole thing. Um, It's like, here's a simple model. Just, and I take you through in my book, you just do this and then do this and do this and do this and you've Mm -hmm. got it. And then the wildly successful enterprises program actually allows everyone in the organization to participate in this transformation. Business transformations fail for the most part. 
any attempt at business transformation because it's all done with the traditional paradigm in mind. They oh, take yeah. years and years and years and years and then they fail anyway. And so instead, you've got an opportunity to bring along because everybody was raised in the traditional paradigm. This is why it took me 20 years to see this. <laughs> I was raised in the paradigm. It, it yeah. took inquiry. It took something for me to see beyond what I, my default thinking. It took something. And so, but the way I've designed this, or, this program is it very simply allows people to recognize, because most of us are doing these normal business practices, organizational practices, subconsciously, we just do them. And instead, I start to show people, actually, here's, a, here's another normal practice everybody does. Here's the actual negative effect on your organization when you do it. Like we were talking about budgeting. That's one out of 14 that I touch on. You always do this. This is the impact. You think you're doing something good for your cut. You're not. And here's why. And I take you through all of that. And at the end of part one, you're now conscious of all of these things you've been taught over the years that you just inherited the beliefs of. Like you just, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we just inherit this stuff, right? It's you're swimming in that water. Mm-hmm. And so then, then I can propose what the future looks like. And you begin to see how simple it can be. So what does the what does the future look like for a CEO if he's thinking if they're if they're thinking you know you know I'm not really sure I believe uh, Don here and uh, mm-hmm. because really I need to protect the shareholders um, interest and do what's for them so yep. what does the future look like that they would be reaching for uh, that that would be different for them. So following everything that I'm talking about in the book or that we take folks mm-hmm. through in the wildly successful enterprises program will naturally generate equity. Heck, I want you to be able to generate better equity than you do today. That's mm-hmm. what I was trained to do years ago. Mm-hmm. I would change the PL all the time for the better. Mm-hmm. So that's an automatic thing. But Focusing on that is detrimental to the organization. If that's your primary focus, it's detrimental. Many CEOs uh, in America, 181 of them actually signed an agreement almost two years ago that they would expand their purview, that they would no longer keep the single view of just serving shareholders. Mm -hmm. And they changed the word to stakeholders. Of any organization. So for their organization, who are their stakeholders? Well, it's the shareholders, customers, consumers, employees, their suppliers, the environment, the communities that they're in, right? It expands dramatically. And that's all well and good. That's the one out of three steps I talk about. You've got to shift your focus to delivering value to everyone involved in your organization not just shareholders. I mean, employees today, uh, you get in these fortune 100s, these employees are not happy. Mm. It's a job and they've got to take care of their families. And guess who who does leave? Those that are capable of leaving and finding something else. 
And now you know, it's even harder. And that is higher risk when they leave, right? They're going to jump. And so <laughs> it's an opportunity to actually bring, um, like I said before, some collaboration and joy to the workplace. People want to come to work and do their best work. They want to contribute. I mean, there's a 0.001% of people that actually have it in for, you know, the rest yeah. of us, we all want to be able, and, and yeah. most people every day get very little value added work done. They're fighting bureaucracy, they're miscommunications. They got 18,000 meetings because of all the miscommunication they've got. And, and just getting something done, it's difficult. So, uh... What I well, hear one you more say. quick thing, the oh, technology no, no. groups, they often have developers on like eight different projects. Now, a developer needs to sit down and concentrate and be really clear on what the end result needs to be. Like we want the recliner chair, not the tire swing. And uh, we put them on eight different projects. Now, how are they supposed to be productive? Yeah, all that switching. Yeah, but this is what's commonly done to quote unquote drive productivity is force more work at people, but we got to stop working so hard and work smart. And there's simple ways to do this, but it's just not been absorbed by the mainstream. So really what I'm doing in the book is also talking around the psychology, the natural human tendencies we have that have kept us from actually just doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the thing about, I, I, I love about what you're doing and uh, your perspective and your system is you've got $6 billion to show on why it does work, which uh, is impressive. And I, and, and, and I'm sure that's only, uh, that's only across a small number of clients. So uh, meaning you make a really big impact uh, this is not what I, what I love about your work is this is not philosophical, even though it may sound like this is practical. Uh, you've been implemented now. It's just, uh, helping other businesses get out there and practically implement something like this. I am very much a pragmatist. I'm not a politician as you can well see. Yeah. No, no. So, so, uh, so I didn't do well in corporate America cause I wasn't a politician. Uh, and I don't believe in being nice to your face and then going behind and dispelling everything and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm very kind in that I want you to improve and I will bring the data and the plan to show you how to improve. Mm-hmm. That to me is being kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's and, what you serve. And, uh, you know, it's like I had a target on my back for 20 years, 25 years, because it's like you know, either someone's threatened by it or, mm-hmm. you know, who are you to say? And look, at I'm not trying to be a smart aleck about any of this. It's just so obvious to me now that I've done the work and I was trained to see certain things the rest of the world doesn't see, mm-hmm. okay? And, and, and just a unique set of circumstances. And because of uh, the consistent, let's say, churn, Right. I, and, and also I'm fast. So I'd get a project done, go to the next, go to the mm-hmm. next, go next. I ended up in every major industry because at first I used to think, oh, these are only aerospace problems. These are only healthcare problems. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're in education. They're in government. Mm-hmm. They're every business I've been in. And, and so uh, 
being able to see patterns is also a natural tendency for me. Not everybody's mm -hmm. built that way. It's just, it's now so obvious to me and I've done the work that then the pragmatist stepped in and I went, I'm not going to write a 2000 page book on this. I've got to be able to very concisely because I don't want to read a book that's longer than three or four hours, right? Yeah, right, so right. I want to give them something very short and sweet and yet takes people through their own transformational journey from being able to let go of the status quo to embracing a new future, a powerful future, which is all I've ever wanted for all of us. And it's, it's I believe it's something that everybody else wants. They're just going down the wrong path to get it, uh, where you've created a path that not only they can attain it, it's, it's a must, it's a much less, well, I was going to say much less dysfunctional. It's not dysfunctional at all. It's, uh, I think you, outside of this podcast, you told me it's collaborative. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you could, you came up with a couple of, th you, you come up with adaptable, you. scalable, yeah. productive, efficient, effective. That's exactly all of, the, what, all of the things. I mean, regardless of what, look at every company to some degree is dealing with the following problems, productivity, mm -hmm. Cash flow, employee alignment, customer retention, customer acquisition, scalability, adaptability, innovation. They're all dealing with that at some level. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. I address all of that in my book. In fact, just following the model allows an organization to naturally be able to handle all of that. All those common problems dissipate. We create them following our traditional paradigms. Ooh. Those problems get created by what we do. So how can, uh, uh, what's the name of the book? The book is titled, What CEOs Don't Know. Awesome. And how can people uh, get a hold of the book or, or find it? Yeah, it's on Amazon pre-sale at donhollyjohnson.com. And for everybody listening, uh, we... Uh, we will actually uh, share that wherever the podcast is posted. So if you didn't write it down, uh, just just look around where this is posted, and uh, and you'll see a link. So, um, and I think that's a good uh, that's a good place to uh, to end. So, uh, Don, I, I I really appreciate you taking the time beyond this was I, the conversation we had been fascinating. Um, are there any other ways that people can uh, can reach you to to learn more about your business if they want to kind of surpass the book and just say, hey? Uh, I want to learn what it's like to work with Dawn. Well, I have created a short assessment, takes about three minutes, where you can assess your organization today compared to its maximum potential. And uh, that assessment is on our landing page at wildlysuccessfulenterprises.com. And, uh, and also you can uh, book an insight call with us if you may call if you want to chat and uh, talk about your business. We're happy to contribute some value to you. Perfect. And anybody listening, again, if you didn't write that down, it's going to be posted wherever you're listening to this. So look for the link, look for the information. It'll be everywhere. You won't be able to miss it. Uh, <laughs> I highly encourage you. Uh, Don and I have had conversations outside of this and the way she thinks is, is fascinatingly simple and effective. So uh, if you heard anything that intrigued you and you want to learn how this can help your business, please reach out, uh, get the book. 
I, I promise you, you're, you're going to love it. So, so Don, uh, uh, thanks for being on. This was great. Uh, I appreciate it. And thanks for everybody for tuning in to this episode of the On Purpose Growth Podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thank you.